welcome to the second episode of Caps, Taps, and Bottles. I'm Tom. And I'm Michael. So, uh, this is episode two. We're uh, in uncharted territory from here on out. Yeah, everything is new. We we didn't plan anything at this point, so... Uh, I mean, we kind of planned things, but we, we weren't doing a very good job at it. I mean... So we're going to keep drinking beer, we know that much, but as far as what style it's going to be, week in, week out, it's whatever ends up being interesting at that point in time. It's all really free form, you know? So it happens when you've got one and a half California dudes, one and a half California dudes. doing a podcast. I mean, you're not there anymore, and I'm not from here, so I don't know what to call it. <laughs> I'm still more California than than you are, I think. I actually just recently applied for my New York State ID. Yeah. Well, I applied for, I got it. I'm 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 getting it. Congrats! It probably will not snap in half like the California IDs. I haven't had that problem. I haven't either, but they're so flimsy. These ones are supposed to be real ID compliant, not like the ones that California gives us. California's getting there too. Uh, I think 2021. Or it might be 2019, I'm not sure, but that's coming up, so everyone needs to change their IDs soon, especially if they're flying. Unless you have a passport. Yeah, but do you really want to go get a passport? We're getting a little bit sidetracked. <laughs> have we been drinking yet? I actually sampled tonight the beer that we're going to be talking about. The last little bit that I had of it from, uh, I've been holding on to it for a little while, actually. Have you been drinking, Tom? Yes, I'm like three quarters of the way through a beer. And I'm pouring more. Three quarters. Oh. So. We should also, we should we should definitely take this this uh, this brief moment, this brief interlude of lack of responsibility to remind you that you need to be responsible when you are drinking. If you drink, don't drive. Always have someone with you who can do that for you. Be aware of where your limits are. Don't do too much. Okay. So with that out of the way. Hmm. Also, a uh, shout-out right now to Six Point Brewing. I'm enjoying the crisp right now. That's my second one of the night. It's their uh, Pilsner. Ah, I have uh, a beer from the same brewery that I'm going to talk about, Shantyshack Brewing um, in Santa Cruz. Ooh, Shantyshack a, This one's a brown ale, a double brown ale, actually, called Leaf Pile. Uh, Leaf Pile? But this is not the one I'm reviewing today, and it's it's pretty tasty, though. Well, let's then, I'm going to go ahead and divulge the one that I'm about to be talking about today. I will be talking about Single Cut Brewing's Heavy Boots of Lead. Ooh, I'm going to be talking about Shanty Shack's Hands of the Clock. Now, what's what style are these beers? Hmm. Let me just go right on record and say that this style of beer almost always has the best names. Uh, you might know the most famous one is Old Rasputin. We're going after the Imperial Stout today. Yep. Mine's a Russian Imperial Stout. It's actually barrel-aged Russian Imperial Ooh. Stout. I've got, I, I guess, an American Imperial Stout. I don't know if there's a significant difference. Someone please uh, tell us if there is. We did a little bit of looking. Yeah. We couldn't really find much of a consensus. In fact, most people seem to think that there's not yeah. that much of one. Right. I mean, once it gets to be big and roasty and malty, does it really matter? <laughs> I'm sure I just offended, like, the five people who listen to this. Ah, uh, no. There's, well, no, 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 no. Well, actually, this is also a good... Actually, this is a good uh, point to uh, give a nice little shout-out to our listeners, all, like, three of them. You know who you are. I've actually got two two or three people on this coast listening. How about you on this on Tom? Have you got anyone over there listening to it? Have you forced anyone over there to 
listen to us yammer about beer for half an hour? Actually, I think I've got a couple guys on the East Coast who are going to listen, so... Ooh, we're building up that East Coast fan coast fan base. Yeah, everyone's going to be over on the East Coast, because when I was back home for Christmas in Pennsylvania, I talked to my friends about it, and they're like, oh, cool, send me a link. All right, all right, we're like way off topic. So I've got Shanty Shack, Hands of the Clock, Barrel-Aged Russian Imperial Stout. You've got... I have uh, Single Cut Brewing's Heavy Boots of Lead, American Imperial Stout. These are two different beers... Two probably similar beers. Two, they're, oh, I would be willing to bet. This is, I mean, technically the last episode was the most first of all firsts because we, that was our first ever. This one will be a first in the fact that both of us are going in completely blind to the other person's beer. So the onus is upon the drinker to describe what exactly is happening in terms of flavor profile and just be as descriptive as possible without just beating it to death. And the bonus difficulty is we're drinking beer at the same time. So I'm not drinking the same beer, and I'm trying to describe a beer I had a while ago now. This might be kind of tough. See, that's why I'm glad I saved a little bit of mine, and I'm drinking a nice neutral palate-cleansing Pilsner right now. So Shanty Shack wouldn't let me take any of the hands of the clock with me. Is it on nitro? Uh, it was not on nitro that that I could tell. Mm. See, there was I, I found out when I went to this place, single cut. Actually, I I feel like I should have known this, being both a science guy and a beer guy. But you can't take uh, beers on nitro in a crowler; it will explode. Maybe that's what it was then. I don't know, because yeah, they only do crowlers at Shanty Shack. I mean, I got this one in a crowler just fine. Uh, the heavy boots of lead. But I don't know. And that 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 could have something to do with it. I don't. I don't. I I I've never actually been to Shanty Shack. I've only ever heard good things I mean, from you and from everybody else I know who lives in Santa Cruz. They all love it. So let me let me take a, a segue here to talk about Shanty Shack themselves because this might shed some light on why I couldn't take this beer with me. So it literally is this shack on the side of the road. You, it's if you're familiar with Santa Cruz, it's on the way to Costco. If you're going to towards Costco and you turn left off of the, the the main street that you get off of to get onto the route to Costco. It's like the second building there. And it's it's literally the shack. It's a block and a half. It sounds like the kind of place that you could mistake easily for one of the many medical marijuana dispensaries down there. Oh yeah, there's there's at least two, possibly three. And they're not even just medical marijuana anymore. They're recreational at this point because that just got legalized. Um, marijuana dispensaries just right around the corner, the homeless shelters just on the block. So you see all sorts of people hanging out around Shanty Shack. Do you get sailors? No, you do not get sailors. They are not singing any sea shanties. It's it's more a, a Shanty Shack in the, this place is a dilapidated hovel piece of shit building. <laughs> and it's true because... That's not... No, they're, That's not the way I would describe a, ver- a a brewery that I'm about to recommend to everybody. It's, it's rustic. They're a great brewery. They're brewing great stuff. They're so new. That's the thing is is these guys started as home brewers not too many years ago, and they've been trying to get a space for a, a commercial brewery, and this was all they could get. It's not the easiest to get to. It's not the most desirable location. It's kind of out of the way for a lot of people. I feel like that area has a lot of potential to become very trendy very quickly. Oh, absolutely. And places like Shanty Shack are a part of that. Yeah, uh, I would say Shanty Shack is like the 
wave 1.5 of gentrification near Santa Cruz Costco. Like, like this place is so, so small and so new and so, uh, in need of renovation. They close the place every Tuesday to do more construction. Like, it's completely a functional space, but every Tuesday they're closing to just keep doing work on it. And that's part of why this episode took so long to come out is I didn't have time a couple weeks, and then I went on a Tuesday because that was my only free day that week. Like, hey, I'm going to go grab a beer, and I'm over near Costco anyway, and they were closed. So, like, I couldn't do anything, and it, and then it took basically a whole month to get this out. In the time it took for him to get the beer and for us to record this, I was able to actually go see him in person. Yep. And we have another podcast already lined up. We just need to have time to record that one, too. Oh, that's going to be a good one. I'm excited for that. I'm not going to spoil what it's about, but it will be a very good one. All right. So the brewery I went to, Single Cut Brewing Company, it's um, all. Uh, it's also here in Queens. Um, it's even closer, actually, than the last one I went to, which is down in... Uh, Hunter's Point. This one is in my subsection of Queens. It's in Astoria, no less. Uh, you have to head over a little while. It's pretty far up. It's close to a very large uh, Con Edison generating plant near Rikers Island. It's actually, yeah, it's like a stone's throw from Rikers Island. How about that? Nice little tourist spot. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Get out of prison. You're like, hey, I need a beer. It's been a while. Exactly. You're right there. And you're you're getting out of prison. You don't want to you don't want to you don't want to have the 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 generic stuff. You want to get something special. So you go to Single Cut. You don't go to the strip mall that's right across the street and get yourself a Miller High Life. You do go to the strip club across the street. Though. There's a strip club there. <laughs> anyway, I, I uh, took the trek all the way up to Dittmar's Boulevard and then just kept um, going deeper and deeper into Queens, into the bowels of Astoria, um, all the way over to 37th Street, and I just kind of went up. In the direction of the Long Island Sound, and uh, you find this place. It's kind of inconspicuous, kind of blends in with the the, the background. It, you you notice first the the massive strip mall across the street, but then you are if you're actually looking for the brewery. I mean, you would see it even if you weren't looking for it. But if you're looking for it, you see it. And uh, I go into this place. You get this. I went through this like they had like the uh, a little mud room set made of vinyl curtains. I don't, I don't know entirely what the point is. I think it was probably just to keep the warm air in. I walk in, and again, like, we talked about this also with Rockaway Brewing. There's the fermentation tanks are, like, right there. Um, and other than that, interestingly enough, the vibe I get from this place reminds me more than anything of... And you're going to think this is weird. I once when I was in college, went on a tour of the Taylor Guitar Factory down in San Diego. That's what it reminded me of. And it reminded me of the Guitar Factory. Not a Guitar Factory. That particular one, because of the way like it was decorated, it mainly had to do with the guitars hanging from the wall and the wood paneling, which just, it gave me that particular vibe. Just like a, like a like a Les Paul or something hanging from the ceiling. And they had this thing going on where it's actually, I've seen this in a couple of breweries already. They had um, a vinyl player that the bar staff would just like alternate putting records on. And I happened to go there at the end of, I don't remember what the record that they were playing. It was some eighties record. 
Um, but I happened to go there during like the last song and then I ordered my little tasters. They don't do flights. Um, you can just get like, uh, like a five ounce pour for a couple bucks and it's, it's the same end result. They just don't do flights per se. Yeah. It's basically a bit. Well, I mean, that's what a flight is already. It's just, I I actually kind of like it because you can, you don't have to like, you don't, you don't, you can only, you only have to have like one or two or three. You can have as many as you want. It's, it's more than just a build your own flight. It's a determine the length of your own flight kind of situation. So, so yeah, this is actually kind of an important point. Um, how much beer is enough to get a sense of what that beer actually tastes like, what that beer is? Because, and, and this happens in wine too. Like when you go wine tasting, not every winery is going to pour the same amount for a tasting. They'll let you revisit things a lot of the time. You can, you can go back and taste the wines that you've had before, but a, a typical glass of wine is five ounces, uh, and remember, wine is stronger than beer. A typical taster of wine is two or three ounces. So for beer... I mean, I, mean, I think I've seen generally the trend is that a taster of beer is about about twice that, about five ounces usually. I don't think I've seen most places do a taster pour more than that. Right. So so I don't think you would ever want to do more than five, but is 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 five the minimum? To get a sense of if a beer is something you would like or not, or... See, here's the thing. I tried a lot of beers that day. I tried quite a few. I, I still feel like I need to go back there because there are some that I, I felt like I was just beginning to get acquainted. And then I had to force myself away to try the next one. And I just kind of was focused on finding one for the podcast. And I was able to find this one well enough. And I walked home with a 32-ounce crowler of it. But there's still a couple others that I wanted to become better acquainted with. Sounds like a good find. I mean, to walk away from a brewery and think, wow, I really like this beer, but I also want to try this one and this other one. And there's even some other beers that I haven't even thought about yet from this brewery. That's Oh, yeah. What more could you want? Um, really? I'll tell like, you that's... what more you could want. Hootie and the Blowfish's uh, Cracked Rear Window. playing. That's what they played? Uh, yes, that's exactly what they played. <laughs> On vinyl. They have Hootie and the Blowfish on vinyl. Because why not? It's very fitting because I've had a couple songs by Hootie and the Blowfish stuck in my head lately. So it worked out well. It, it, that, that brewery spoke to me on a very deep level. I need to go back there soon. I'm about to I'm about to uh, plan, another, plan another run for the couple breweries that I've been to already and start exploring more. That's one of them. Oh, another thing I forgot to mention about this place. They have a massive, and this is something that I thought my girlfriend and I had, uh, uh, well, I, I can't say that I thought we'd invented it, but I feel like we were, we were doing it like before it was cool. We had a projector set up and a big blank wall in our house and we just like turned the lights off and like we'll play Mario Kart or like watch TV on it. Dude, this has been a thing for decades. No, 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 Tom. We're before, we're ahead of the curve. Trust me. No, you're just hipsters. <laughs> you live in well, Astoria. Kind of... You're both in your twenties. I don't know what else to say. We like beer. You're a hipster, Michael. That's what it is. Well, that even uh, backs this up more because this place did the same thing, just on a much larger scale. Mm-hmm. Big old cinder block wall, and they had um, the Giants game projected on it. The New York Giants, of course. Yeah, because 
one, it's not baseball season, and two, you're in New York, so... I'm still not entirely sure if this is Giants country or Jets country. It's hard to tell. It It's kind of a blur, unless you're, like, really close to the areas, I think. I don't know. I There's a guy I know at work who's from Long Island, so he's, he's like an Islanders fan for hockey. We're getting sidetracked again, Tom. All right, all right. Well... We just talked about... We just talked about how cool these breweries are. I mean, different kind, different levels. You're actually noticing already something similar here. These breweries seem to kind of capture the whole vibe of the area that they are in. If you feel, if you feel what I mean, the, yeah, totally. Shanty Shack definitely fits into the neighborhood it's in. I mean, it, it is a brewery, right? So you, you do still have. They actually, I mean, yeah, they have, like, the stainless steel fermentation tanks, but you can see tons of wooden barrels for all their barrel-aged beer. That's way more visible. And it's just this big open space with a, a bar and a bunch of tables, um, like, long tables. They, they have a lot of, like... Uh, like the, the whole communal tables, like the Stammtisch kind of deal? They're not really quite that long, now that I think about it. Man, it's been a while. I need to go back. They've got indoor and outdoor seating. They've got some board games. They've got some space that's really good for families, but they're not really set up the same way that East Cliff Brewing was um, as your typical English pub. They're they're more set up just as, well, this is the space we have, and we're going to make the most of it. They do a really cool food program. It's, I don't know if I call it a food program, but they've got like charcuterie and, and other small things. Uh, makes for a fun experience, even if you have someone with you who doesn't really drink beer. Uh, they can still have a fun time. See, that's always something that I like if some place offers something to people more than just the beer. If you're bringing like a group of people there and someone says, oh, I don't really want to drink today. And it's like, all right, cool. They still have interesting food options for you. Oh, and they have, and I haven't had these in a while. They have some non-alcoholic soda type things. They're not, they're they're homemade and they have like their own syrups that they make that they use as the base and then they just add CO2 and, and water. They're really interesting. They're, they rotate from time to time. So yeah, if you don't want to drink beer, but you still want to drink something, They've got options. And I think they've also got some wine on tap. I went to a place the other day that had wine on tap. I can't remember where it was, but I saw it, and I remember it seemed strange to me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's becoming more and more of a thing. It's a good way to make sure that your wine is always fresh. So anyway, let's talk a little bit about the whole style before we get into our beers. So we're not going to try to distinguish here between American and Russian imperial stouts. Essentially... We're going to treat them as more or less the same thing. I mean, we're, we're really splitting hairs if we want to get down to it, because the, the basic beer at hand is your Imperial Stout. It's the Imperial Stout, and whether it's an American Stout or a Russian Imperial Stout, it really doesn't matter terribly. The difference is going to be, if I would guess, in the hopping. Like, American hops versus English hops, probably, for the Russian Imperial Stout. And... But it really in it doesn't matter enough to I would say make a distinct style. We may catch heat for that sure. one, but I think one of the arguments for I don't, I don't think enough people I don't think enough people listen to us for us to catch heat for or it. enough heat that we would feel it. Right. I think someone might say like a Russian imperial stout's even a bit stronger than an American imperial stout, which maybe we'll see. Right. Like my beer is ten point two percent ABV. Ah, uh, mine clocks in at eleven. Oh wow. Okay. So. Maybe it doesn't matter. I don't think it does. Anyway, we obviously, I, I've, 
heard other beers throw around the Imperial name. I've heard of Imperial Porters. I've heard of Imperial Red Ales. I've heard of all of this Imperial stuff. What does it even mean? Strong. Strong. Mostly just strong, but there's a little bit more to it than that. The Imperial moniker was actually uh, attached to these beers that were sent to Russia, commissioned by the Tsar of, Ru- of Russia at the time, Catherine the Great. Hence, you know... She was a queen, not a Tsar. Queen, Tsar. I think they all called it more or less the same thing maybe with just a different suffix i don't zarina i don't know i don't speak russian tom oh hey this paper i'm looking at in front of me says zarina but yeah the distinct feature as we were talking about earlier of imperial stouts is the relatively high alcohol content which is double that of most other beers yeah i mean we're talking mine's 10.2 yours is 11 if you're looking at something like your average craft beer it's probably somewhere between five and six if you're looking at bud light what is that like three or four i don't actually know yeah it's it's not very strong so but tom why are these beers so strong if i had to guess i don't i don't really know there's there's a lot of confounding factors here. Or maybe not confounding, oh, but there's, there's a lot of factors know. that can make a beer strong. So sometimes you're making a beer... Oh, we're not talking about what makes... We're not talking about what's specifically making it strong. Why were they made so strong to begin with? I mean, imperial, right? So imperial means bigger. It's stronger. Um, really, like, if you're going to add more alcohol content um, or more hops, right? If you're looking at, like, an imperial IPA... Part of it is a preservative aspect, right? More alcohol means less bugs, less bacteria, less likely to get an infection. Uh, the other thing is, this is just a good way to balance all of your flavors. You Once you start adding more and more malt, um, start adding more and more sweetness, you really need more alcohol to kind of counteract all that sweetness. So the end objective for any beer is to make something that tastes good. And things taste good when they're balanced. So if you have a lot of alcohol, it's either because of or in addition to having a lot of sweetness or a lot of bitterness or just a lot of everything. Also, Tom, remember, these are Russians. They like their beer strong. Absolutely. So the beers we've got. So I've got this Hands of the Clock Barrel-Aged Russian Imperial Stout, 10.2% ABV. Now, here's something to keep in mind. So for me... Generally, if I see something as barrel aged, I get very hesitant. This is a point of this is a big point of contention because okay, I don't feel personally very, very, very strongly about barrel aged beers. However, I have been noticing a trend that a lot of places are starting to do barrel aged stuff. The good news right now is we're getting a lot of access to more and more wood. Right, more people are doing barrel aging. More people are picking up bourbon barrels or wine barrels or whatever and saying, hey, I'm going to use that and store my beer in that to impart some more flavor. That's really cool. I'm glad people are experimenting. My issue is I've had a lot of overly barrel-aged beers. So the the biggest offenders are you have these beers, like, oh, we're going to do a bourbon barrel-aged stout. Great. On paper, that sounds delicious. I want that. Everyone wants that. That's going to be very tasty. What ends up happening is... The, the bourbon barrel has enough residual bourbon character and enough sweetness from that bourbon that it ends up overpowering the additional alcohol, even though it's an imperial stout or whatever. I like bourbon. I like stouts. I don't like a lot of bourbon barrel aged stouts. It's very interesting to drink a beer that strong and have it be so cloying. Right. 
That that really is the issue. There's just like too much sweetness, or and, and this could be both of these things, too much alcohol. Uh now, this beer from Shanty Shack Brewing, hands of the clock, was absolutely not either of these cases. They got it just right, they nailed the balance between sweetness and alcohol. And that's something that I don't see a lot, and I really feel the need to praise this. Uh Shanty Shack really nailed it. And the, the funny thing is, so so I was really curious about this. I what the grain bill seemed like it would be really interesting, because I tasted some really interesting grain notes. We'll we'll get into that. Um and everything was just so much better than any other barrel-aged stout that I've ever had. I was like, okay, uh, let's ask the bartender, like, hey, do you know what the recipe was for this? What was the grain bill? Like, how'd they, how'd they match in? How'd they match out all of this? Like, what did you do? Uh, so she went and asked the brewer. And she's like, he forgot. This was months ago. Because <laughs> it's barrel-aged. So I don't even know if they wrote it down. Because um, the, these guys roll through so many small batches of beer so quickly. Like, they might not ever make this one ever again. I don't know. But they really nailed it. Uh, this was absolutely perfect. And maybe I should just launch right into what I tasted. You know, before you do, there's something just so beautiful about that. The idea of they might never... It's ephemeral art in beer. Absolutely what I was going to say. I really enjoy the concept of that. I do believe that there should be always, like, certain flagship beers that you hone your craft and perfect and perfect and perfect like a brief a brewery wants to stay in business they need to have that constant thread but i do enjoy the idea of it's like we're gonna make this beer and this is the only batch we're gonna make of it and if you like it that's great if not well you can come back in a couple months and we'll have something completely different yeah it could be quite literally lightning in a bottle. There is a great name for a beer, by the way. Oh, yeah. If you do a bunch of one-offs and like one of them turns out really well, just call that one lightning in a bottle. You can thank me. Or just call it part of the series. Make it the lightning in a bottle series. Oh, yes. Okay. So for our brewery, now that this is public domain because other people heard it. Uh... Registered trademark. <laughs> That's totally us. how that works. You can't steal our <laughs> idea now because we said trademark. <laughs> original content don't steal <laughs> so yeah this really just nailed what i think a russian imperial stout especially a barrel aged russian imperial stout should be about right hands of the clock just you get all of that malt character right a lot of a lot of uh the sweeter flavors you can get out of a beer but they're balanced by all that alcohol there is a little bit of bitterness but not a lot i mean it, it does have some hops so so it's gonna have some bitterness that's that's beer but predominantly, right, I'm getting a lot of sweetness, a lot of malt character, a little bit of toffee, but not a lot. And then tons of, I, I guess tons isn't really the right word. Um, and, and it doesn't feel like tons because it's so balanced. So I want to say tons because I know this is a Russian Imperial Stout. But really, nothing stood out as, oh, this is overwhelming me, right? This, this was a very big beer. It had a lot of body to it. But, I mean, I had everything pretty balanced like i've got a wheel with a bunch of different flavors on it right we were talking about 33 bucks uh filling out their charts again like dark fruit sweetness maltiness and alcohol are all like very balanced so if we're looking at that wheel but but as i as i tasted it right so if i'm let's go back in time to when i ordered this beer so i said okay Michael got a strong dark beer. <clears throat> so I have to get a strong dark beer so we can compare them. 
And I want to go to Shanty Shack because I haven't been there in a while. So let's go there. <clears throat> so I, I walk into this place. And the only beer that fits the bill is this Russian Imperial Stout. So I'm like, oh, well, it's barrel-aged, so I don't know if I'm going to like this. Luckily, barrel-aged Russian Imperial Stout means it's strong, so it's going to be a very small pour. So if this isn't something I'm going to like, I'll be done with it very quickly. So, so I'm very nervous about this, but I'm like, well, we got to do this. So <clears throat> I get this beer, and immediately I take a sip, and everything is perfectly balanced. I've said balanced, so I probably couldn't say balanced anymore today. I think I'm out. Say balanced one more time. I dare you. Balanced. So, but really though, that's that's what we're trying to achieve, and that's what they did. So I get all of this big alcohol, all of this big sweetness and maltiness, and it all balances out. It cancels out, so that it becomes this very mellow, enjoyable experience. Strong, but not so much that I can't drink this beer. Yes, I have to take my time because it is still pretty heavy beer, but I can plot along and it's not a chore. It's, oh, I really like that. I'm going to take another sip in a bit. That's actually something I tend not to get from this style, from Imperial Stouts. Exactly. I, I, I feel like this is something that is easy to screw up because you're working with so much bigger numbers than a typical beer. And that's why the beers that we've picked... I, I, I'm hearing you recommending the one that you have, uh, sampled. I cannot recommend the one that I've had enough simply because of that. There are a lot of beers that are Imperial Stouts, Imperial Porters, or Imperial, Imperial Stormtroopers that you drink and you get a couple sips in and you're, you just can't do it anymore. You just can't do it. Yeah. They're so dense there's so much uh there's so much going on in one just one mouthful like more than just flavor wise it's all about the mouthfeel you get that thick molassesy mouthfeel with the baseball bat to the face of f- flavors that you're getting from an imperial imperial stout sometimes it's just too much and that's why these ones again like i just said I cannot recommend this one enough. My heavy boots of lead and yours, uh, hands of the clock. At least that's what the impression I get is from the way you're describing it. Absolutely. This is, this is without a doubt my favorite Russian Imperial Stout. Without a doubt my favorite barrel aged Russian Imperial Stout. Now, see, that's a very bold claim. How do you compare it to, like, something like, uh, old Rasputin? So, that, that is a difficult thing to compare. The reality is, I don't generally like these beers. I th- people really screw these beers up a lot. These kinds of beers tend to be wildly popular. Right. And, and with good reason. When when you get it right, it's perfect. And, and that's what this is. I think that there are the two mainstream benchmarks, I guess, for this style of beer, which you would be, again, uh, Old Rasputin. And I don't know if it's technically Imperial, but uh, the Goose Island Bourbon County. With that barrel aging going on, it might as well be. I think it's like 13% too. Yeah, that's been a popular one lately too. Old Rasputin kind of set the standard, but isn't barrel aged. So here's here's what I think is, if you do barrel aging well, it will automatically make your beer better than any other beer in that style that isn't barrel aged. Anyway, so you've talked about your beer. I'm going to kind of shift gears a little bit, talk about mine. 
this thing, the heavy boots of lead, which, by the way, good God, I love that name. That is a great name. I sing what a great cut, name. If you, if you so are good. listening to this, you hit it out of the park with that. Who'd have thunk that a Black Sabbath lyric would be absolutely perfect for an Imperial Stout? Well, the more I think about it, Prince of Darkness, that was Ozzy Osbourne, right? Black Sabbath. Yeah, Ozzy Prince Osbourne. of Darkness. There you go. So with that name in mind, let me just uh, take you into a glass of this heavy boots of lead. It is one of the most dense feeling beers that I have ever had. It is dense. It's creamy. It coats the inside of your mouth as it's, as you as you're drinking it. It just fills up all that space. It is almost like molten metal filling up and creeping down your throat. Then again, there's that name, Heavy Boots of Lead. And I mean, this is a very common flavor in any kind of stout, not just in Imperial. It's very uh, chocolatey, Mm. which is something I actually... I flip-flop back and forth between what I like more in uh, stout. Sometimes I like that chocolatey character. Sometimes I like the more nutty character. Other times I like a nice strong char, which this one also has. This is actually, I'd go so far as to call this one aggressive in its (laughs) char. I had a decent amount of smokiness in mine, yeah. Like right off the bat, this thing is just like, boom, chocolate, boom, here's that char character. Holy heck, here we go, let's do this. This is a Black Sabbath concert, son. And another... Well, something that kind of caught me off guard about this one, there was a slight tangy character to it. Very slight. Like a sourness or like a... I'd describe it as something like... Not as sweet. Not as not like a sour, but like blackberries or blueberries. That's crazy. That's not something I would typically associate with an imperial stout. Oh, no, 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 no. Like, a little background for this. I don't like blackberries or blueberries, for that matter, if they're too sweet. I like them when they're just on that, just beginning to become ripe, when they're still a little crunchy, when they're still a little tangy. Mm. They're still kind of sour and tart. That's when I like a blackberry or a blueberry. Okay, I I, I I get that whole, like, just that, like, tangy... I wouldn't even go so far as to call it um, a nose because you don't notice it when you smell the beer. You don't notice it at the beginning. It kind of creeps up on you. It, it's part of that. Ling- it's part of the linger that this beer has, and it goes away very quickly. That's actually really cool. It's. I don't know if it's just the alcohol aspect of it. It's not. It, it, I, I, it's hard to tell. But what I, I tasted, what I tasted, like it has all the regular components there of an imperial stout. You have things like the chocolate foot character. You have the char character. This one even has some toffee character. Even a little bit of that, like, uh, it's a little, little spicy, maybe. Like, it's got something going on. That power, that power is going somewhere. But this isn't, and this isn't something, like, I'd expect, I'd expect to see maybe, like, a dark stone fruit in, like, a stout sometimes. But this is something that kind of caught me off guard, a dark berry flavor. Well, I mean, I've got kind of the same kind of notes. I said dark fruit. I mean, that's that's from the uh, 33 books designation from their flavor wheel thing. But, I mean, what I really meant there was, was 
kind of similar. I mean, maybe not blueberry, but uh, definitely something like blackberries, black currants. Black currants. That's that's one that I had been thinking about, but I couldn't put my finger on the word. Like definitely those kinds of fruits, and, and I think that's fine because when you think about it, those are those are some pretty rich fruits. I mean, and so are stone fruit. But the point is, right? Like you've you've got this richness alongside this sweetness. I mean, yeah, alcohol is kind of acidic if you're talking chemistry, right? The alcohol and the richness contrast with the sweetness, and they fight each other, and then they dance with each other, and then it all kind of works out. That's what's crazy about these particular beers, and I think it's kind of like the style, is that you can get tastes, I'm going to call it, I'm going to coin this here, a phantom taste. A taste that might not necessarily be there, but the sum of the other flavors kind of leaves you with this feeling. And it's not necessarily a bad feeling, it's a phantom taste in there. kind of sneaks up on you, you don't quite know where it came from. But you know it's not out of place because it's a part of all the other flavors that exist there. Absolutely. There's there's uh that could totally be something like a context dependent, like, oh, I had these flavors before and that resulted in this other flavor, so I'm tasting this other flavor again. Or it could be just a residual, like, these flavors kind of I'm I mean, I'm sure some psychologist somewhere has investigated the sensation of flavor and phantom flavor because why not well i mean we're really all just a bunch of uh atoms and electrical signals right so i mean it all breaks down to biochemistry technically well yeah and and everyone's different is the other thing so you may have tasted blueberries blackberries blackcurrant and someone else might taste strawberries or or no fruit at all and that's crazy we all have the same words to describe the same things. And then we apply those to a different context and then suddenly everyone has different words to describe the same thing. You want to know what something that I didn't really... Okay, so this is kind of interesting. We would normally talk about something that we uh, do notice but I'm going to instead talk about something that I didn't really notice in there. And what I didn't notice until the very end of this beer, and I think it, again, kind of comes from the char character, is any sort of dryness. This beer, because... Okay, so there's a little bit of dryness. There's a, a, a tiny, tiny little bit accentuated by that char character, I think. But it's all at the very end. Like, it's not something that you really pay attention to from the beginning, mainly because it, it has this way of just filling your mouth and just, like, there's so much liquid in your mouth that it, and so much flavor going on. If there's any, like, dry aspects to it, you are distracted until the very, very end, and you don't really notice it. And then when you do notice it, you're like, is that sort of an innate dryness, or is that is that a figment of my imagination from having just experienced that incredibly strong charred character. I don't want to say burnt character because burnt carries such a negative connotation to it. Now, to me, I mean, that could be a few things. And and it, it makes so much sense too, right? So so first of all, right, when we say dry, right, that's the opposite of sweet. And, and that's, that's in the context of has the yeast fermented out all of the sugar? So typically, right, we're looking at imperial stouts. These are pretty sweet malty beers right there there's a lot of complex sugars that get left behind 
because the yeast just can't break them down. So there's a pretty high residual sugar. But you also have high levels of attenuation, especially with beers that are um, this strong. Right. So, so I mean, yeah, we've got a lot of alcohol to balance out some of that residual sweetness. And, and we would have less residual sweetness than most other beers just because the typical yeast strains that we're using are able to attenuate pretty far down even with the high gravity. So you don't expect a lot of dryness. But then my, my question would be for you, are you confusing or conflating dryness with maybe a tannic character or something that isn't exactly dryness, but is the resolution of all of the other flavors in your mouth? Because, and, and I've been drinking a lot of wine lately, so I'm coming at this from a wine perspective, is... The last thing you taste in wine is the tannic character, if there is any. So if you're left with a mouthwatering feeling, that means absolutely there's probably some some low tannic grapes, probably no oaking. So for beer, I mean, if it's oaked, yeah, you've got some tannins, right? I had a barrel-aged beer. I did get some of that dryness at the end, and I think that dryness is actually probably a tannic character. If you don't have that, it could be just the alcohol is high enough that it's able to just suck all that moisture out of your mouth. I don't know. I don't know how high the alcohol content would have to be for that to happen. Ah, uh, well, it definitely happens with some of the cask-strength whiskeys that I've had. I'm pretty sure all of the beers that are that strong are actually from Scotland. I think so, too. I remember there was one that was served inside of a taxidermied squirrel. Is that what happened? I know, uh, what was it, Armageddon was like 70-something percent? But that's all I know. That name rings a bell. We might be talking about the same one or the same company. In any case, I I don't know how willing I am to say that a, an 11% beer just sucks all the moisture out of your mouth. I am willing to uh, go with the theory that there is so much going on in this beer. So many different flavors. Like you're hit with the malts. You're hit with that burnt character. You're hit with that alcohol flavor, and that alcohol flavor that alcohol flavor lingers along with all the other flavors. They all just kind of sit there, and they all fade nice and easy. It's it's not like a lot of beers that I have where, and this isn't a bad thing, where one flavor kind of fades into another, which fades into another. This is all the flavors at once. Everything's happening at the same time. And then it just kind of fades away nice and easy. And I think that's kind of something that has to happen when you're talking about a beer that's this big. I mean, yeah, yours isn't barrel-aged and mine is, but they're both still very strong beers. In in any case, I mean, we're, we're looking at a, a particular style of beer that really needs all of these flavors to be balanced because they're all such strong flavors. Whereas that isn't necessarily the case when you're drinking something like a Pilsner. You get that nice, crisp, clean note. You get maybe a little bit of hops, and then it's gone. And that's fine, right? There's not a lot of depth to it, but there, there doesn't need to be a lot of depth. Versus something like an Imperial Stout, right? You've got a lot of complexity going on. You've got more complex sugars to begin with. You've got probably a lot of ester character uh, from your yeast because it has to ferment to such a high alcohol content. You've got all sorts of other congeners left over from the grains. So you get so many different flavors and they end up being so strong. Right? If any one of them is out of balance, 
immediately it is obvious because it's so strong. So, verdict. Verdict for me. I would recommend this beer to anyone who's a fan of uh, a good dark beer, a beer that you can sit in a on a cold winter day and just read a book or watch a movie or TV and just sip on this beer. It's a nice warmer. It'll, oh boy, will it keep you warm at 11% and it has enough interesting flavor to keep you going uh, all the way until next Tuesday. Sounds great for me. So, I don't like barrel-aged stouts generally, but I liked Hands of the Clock. So, absolutely. I One, I think this is a great beer. Not just for a barrel-aged imperial stout. I think this is a great example of the style. And I think this is a great example of a great beer. Balanced flavors, hard to find for... A lot of different beers, right? You've you've got every different brewer doing their own thing, and so they've got their flagship, which they're good at, and then a bunch of other beers that they may or may not be good at. This was not, to my knowledge, Shanty Shack's flagship beer, and it was absolutely excellent. So, no, it's not my favorite style, but if you're in Santa Cruz, if you find yourself able to go to Shanty Shack, you have to get this if they have it, because it was so good. And should you find yourself in Astoria, Queens, New York, check out Single Cut Beersmiths. They've got some amazing beers. Uh, this one was, un- I wish I could talk about all the other ones that I had, but this one was amazing, and they have a bunch of other great ones that you should definitely check out. I am the only person I know who's been to Single Cut, but I will be singing their praises with the strength of uh, 10 Grinches plus 2. So, this has been our second episode. Um... I I guess we're the producers. This has been produced by me, Michael Markson, and my podcasting compatriot, Tom Rohr. Editing was, was slash, at time of recording, will be uh, done by me, Michael Markson. Thank God. Uh, we'd like to give a shit, right? <laughs> for you. For you. <laughs> uh, we'd like to give a shout out to... Any and all regular listeners we have, all three of them. It might be four, or it might be two after today, who knows. <laughs> hey, I'll always listen to us. <laughs> that sounds somewhat uh, egotistic, I'm not sure. It's, I, I have to, I have to edit it. Ah, uh, I can forget that this even happened. Well, you'll know it exists when I put it up in a couple of days. Uh, this has been Michael out of Astoria, Queens, New York City. This has been Tom out of Santa Cruz, California. And we hope to see you next time. On Caps, Taps, and Bottles.